G'day everyone, welcome back to the Big Swing Noting Podcast, setting those bales back to New South Wales since 2019. I am Nelson Howard and this is The Ding. I think, yeah, yeah, we'll call it The Ding, why not? This can be the rant or the ramble. Um, this is episode two of The Ding. <laughs> Tell me what you guys think of that, probably need a new name, um, but what not? So this is... Um, <clears throat> Australia won the ODI, the first ODI last night. Who would have thought? What did I? I think I said last week um, we're going to get thumped in all the ODIs, and it's not even going to be close. Very happy to be proven wrong. Very happy to be proven wrong. Um, yeah, we. Well, so after I recorded the first episode, we went on to lose the second T Twenty. Um, quite convincingly, and then we won the third pretty. Con- um, I think it was convincingly, and then we won a pretty pretty decent ODI victory in the first one just last night. Um, before I get too far into that though, I just want to say thank you all so much for the support in the first episode. Really means the world to you. Really means the world to me that you guys are you sticking sticking around for the full forty five minutes or whatever it was. Um, this probably won't be as long this time, um, but whatever. I, Maybe it is. Maybe it'll be longer. I don't really know. Um, yeah, it really means the world that you guys are interested in what I'm saying and that you guys want to see more of this sort of sit down and rant sort of thing. Um, so yeah, here we are for episode two of The Ding. Um, so yes, the first one day international. Now, what was so good about this is that the positions that we talked about in the first episode, the finishing role, Glenn Maxwell, Mitch Marsh, Battered their asses off. Um, yeah, Glenn Maxwell came in at seven. M- Mitch Marsh actually came in at five, which was pretty surprising. I thought that they would slide him down to six and bring in Alex Carey at five. But um, no, Mitch Marsh played his role really well, which is super promising signs because the big thing with him has always been, um, yeah, he can he can hit a long ball, but does he have the versatility to, to bat in that all-rounders position if needed to anchor ship? And he absolutely showed it today. That was um, yes, last night, rather. Um, 77 of... Or 73, rather, of 89 balls, I want to say. Maybe it was a bit more than that. Maybe it was 90-odd. Um, but regardless, he played really well. He just chipped it around with Glenn Maxwell. They they batted really well together. Um, Glenn Maxwell, also backing up what I said in the first episode, is... He is so much more versatile than what than what he is used for. Batting at seven, he should never be batting at seven. I do not want to see him batting at seven ever again unless... No, I just don't. I just don't want to see it. don't want to see it happen. Um, oh, m- maybe there's some circumstance, but he should never be batting seven in any side. He should be batting five or six. That's it. Um, and he showed why, because he has, he has the... He's mentally stronger than so much so much people realize or maybe not necessarily stronger but smarter he played he's got great cricket smarts um he went about running a ball for most of the most of the innings probably a bit less but it, because we just needed to hold ship we were what five for 130 something like that um and he comes in you know this guy maxwell just waiting for the unorthodox shot but no he just kept playing at it turned over the strike to mitch marsh Picked off the loose ball, um, particularly for Moe and Alley. That was pretty good. I uh, he just Moe Mo and Alley. He just cannot get a break against Australia. Um, whether it's just because we played the off spin pretty well. No, that's that's a lie. Um, but yeah, Glenn Maxwell was superb, and then he just he dragged it on in the last few overs when he needed to go. That was that was cool. Um, Mitch Stark did his thing at the end. Pat Cummins put in a few. Um, all in all, we did really well to get to 296. I didn't think we'd get more than 220 at one point. I thought that would have been a good score. But no, we did it well, and we won by 19 runs. Um, i got to say, awesome captaincy from Aaron Finch. I I think his captaincy really goes under the radar sometimes, and the way he used Josh Hazelwood this game was perfect. That is how you need to use Josh Hazelwood in white ball cricket because he is always going to be that consistent line length bowler that'll put it in the spot all day, every day. 
and he's not he's not there for the last balls last overs of the innings or through the middle overs as a rotational bowler. He is there to get in a rhythm, pin a batsman down. And then if, um, I think Nasser Hussein said it pretty well on broadcast. If you bowl Hazelwood late, his length is very predictable and set batsmen, especially those who are just looking to slog, will get him away. Um, but Finch bowled him really well. I think he bowled, what, seven overs in his first spell and he went for, oh, very small amount. Very small amount indeed. Um, and took three for 26 after 10 overs. He was the difference maker. He absolutely deserved man of the match. Um, again, Mitch Mitch Marsh um, probably... Yeah, he was a bit stiff. Well, he's gone Maxwell, but it doesn't really matter. It was a really good team performance. Mitch Stuck has been kind of wayward with the ball lately, which is a bit concerning, but... Um, He's got such a good white ball record. I'm not going to question it because he's been so good for us for so long now. As has Pat Cummins, who uh, I think just got he just got pretty unlucky with this one. He threw in the right bounce. He was pinning him down at the start. Um, I thought he did all right. He was unlucky to go for 74 runs. I thought Adam Zamper as well, awesome. It was excellent to see him bouncing back from his T20 series and taking four wickets. Um, he is he's a very nice bowler to watch. As, as it's very good to have that, that reliable leg spinner now. He is becoming more and more reliable and more disciplined um, through these overs for us in white ball cricket. Um, but he was a, a bit overshadowed by Adil Rashid, the other leg spinner. We have just got no idea how to play him, do we? Um, I was, I'm in a group chat with a couple of people, and my friend Josh Neville, he said, we need to thank our goddamn lucky stars that Adil Rashid does not play Red Bull cricket anymore because he would have absolutely screwed us in the ashes. No two ways about it. He spins it a mile either direction, and we just have no idea how to pick it and play it. Um, we, we've always sort of had these problems against particular spinners. Of course, Graham Swan... No, it was the more recent one. <clears throat> Vinjan Jadeja was in the last, uh, a couple of summers ago. You know, it's just, it's just how it goes. And now, now we've, we've been pretty lucky with Moen Ali. He's, um, he absolutely shats his pants against us, against going against Australia, which is pretty nice. I think all Australians simultaneously hate and love Moen Ali just because he's, he's so... But I don't know what is. I don't want to say he's so bad because he's a he's a he's a good cricketer, and um, I do feel a bit bad for him. But Adil Rashid, um, if England are to win this series, and I think they still will, I think they'll still win these last two matches. Um, do not be surprised if he wins man of the match in both those innings, both those matches, because we just looked absolutely nowhere. Uh, even Manus, who's our best player of spin, just couldn't. <laughs> he had no idea what what hit him. Um, again, there was a lot of, um, I noticed in, I noticed, um, our top order, especially against the spinners, we would, well, again, completely against the spinners, we were playing a lot of, um, sweep shots, like a lot and playing against the spin. And it was the demise of Marnus. He was playing across the V, um, Mitch Marsh, who went in late and got on the back leg. I can't remember. And Finch's dismissal. David Warner just got a page. Um, he was pretty unlucky. But, yeah, Adil Rashid. Hopefully, Steve Smith can show the boys how to how to bat, <laughs> hopefully. That's the, uh, that's the hope. Um, I really hope Steve Smith is back for the next game because I just, I still don't feel confident Marcus Stoinis. He... Because he always looks so good for the first 30 or 40 odd runs that he puts on. And then he'll just play it on or try to bite off too much. And and because he's generally gone so slow to that point, it's all for nothing. Um, I don't want to say he's our James Binns. I think he's a bit better, a bit better than that. But it is concerning if Stoinis bats three for the whole series. Um, but... But I think he, but he is, he's an all right backup. He's a good backup for if Steve Smith, um, Manus on like, even honestly, like Aaron Finch and 
David Warner. If any of those guys get hurt, I think Marcus is a good, he's a good replacement and he's good reserve. So I, I'm, I think I'm content with him just being a decent reserve for now because he can put in like those 30 runs and you can, gen, you can count on him for getting those. But um, yeah, he probably, he's not going to be getting a look in the, the ODI side at least for some time now because Mitch Marsh, um, he's proving his worth and I'm really glad to see it because he has been, he's been there abouts for so long. Um, he's been getting a slight, a slightly, um, larger run in ODIs lately batting in the all rounder position. Um, his bowling's improved a lot. I'm real. I'm really pleased with his bowling. I think he's quite, a, he's a good rotational bowler. He bowled, I think he only bowled five overs actually. Um, and then Glenn Maxwell bowled three and then, hang on, I have to, I have to check, I have to check the overs, but, um, Mitch Marsh, I thought bowled pretty well and obviously his batting's really good, but he just, it's all you need to do. He, that's always been Mitch Marsh's, um, ideology as a bowler is to just be there and just as as a rest reserve for the other guys to give him a rest and to not give the batsman too much like he doesn't usually he doesn't usually um concede many runs marsh he's very he's a very disciplined bowler and um he doesn't he doesn't need to be like the big wicket taker as the all-rounder he's just there as a decent rotational bowler to keep keep the runs down for where while he's there um yeah of course someone's bowling the other two um yeah he took one for 29 marsh that was that was cool maxi Bowled three overs, went for nineteen runs, and Sunas bowled two, went for fifteen. Maxwell, you know, we we know him. He's a um, he's a wicket, he's a partnership breaker. I guess you can use him as. Um, he's also pretty like obviously doesn't doesn't spin much. He's a part time offy, but you know he's he's a decent um, a decent on the spot bowler. Stoinis, like, uh, I, I'd take Marsh's bowling over Stoinis, so that's why I can't really see. Well, that's half of the reason why I can't see Stoinis um, getting getting a go into this full strength ODI side at the moment, um, because like, again, Mitch Marsh just batted superbly, seventy three of hundred in the end actually, so that was my mistake. But he, he pinned the pinned the innings down excellently, um, and like I said earlier, I was pretty unsure with how he um, with with him coming in at five. But but hey, credit credit to um, JL or Aaron Finch for sending him in because he he held down the innings wonderfully. Um, the man who I would have at the time preferred to have seen come in at five, Alex Carey. Yeah, um, this could be the defining series in Alex Carey's white ball career. Um, because if. He continues to, you know, do a silly sweep shot or get out early in the innings. Then I'm not sure that they're going to persist with him, because Josh Philippi is. I'm the more I think about it, the more I think Flip would be like he would fit into this side so well. So Alex Carey is definitely not safe, and if he doesn't convert next next game. Do not be surprised if we see Flip um, in for the third ODI. Um, I still think that's unlikely. I think Kerry will still keep his spot, but if he if he fails in all ODIs that he plays, I think and it, like all it all it'll take is one breakout domestic um, summer in the Marsh Cup for Philippi to get into the to get into this side. That's all it'll take because. Um, Obviously, he had an incredible big bash, and um, you know, and they they actually sh they chose to play Matt Wade in the third T twenty, which was interesting. They chose to open him, um, because our David Warner was injured, I believe, or he was, or he had soreness or something like that. Hang on, let's see. Yeah, so they had Wade, Finch, Stoinis at three, Maxwell four, Glenn, uh, Steve Smith at five. I guess they were just throwing around some things. But if, like, for this T20 side, like, that's probably more of a mess than our, 
like, is it more of a mess? Yeah, I think there's less questions of our ODI side at the moment. I think the only question mark is Alex Carey. Um, and then we we do have the replacement there. So that like that's cool. I think our ODI side's in a good place at the moment, which is you know, that's um something we haven't been able to say for so long. But yeah, it's only at the moment because, you know, we've seen how quickly and how little it takes for Mitch Marsh to go out of favour. And um, you know, Glenn Maxwell has his bad runs. As as like, honestly, as do the openers, but <laughs> any cricketer does. What what am I talking about? But yeah, it is the ODI side's good for now, but the T twenty side is a bit of a mess. And that is why I'm surprised that Matthew Wade um wasn't not not surprised that he was brought into the team for the third T twenty, but rather that he opened. Because Marcus Stoinis still played, right? And I'd like we've seen his best work is 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 as an opener. Um, it doesn't really matter where you put Stoin unless you're trying to develop him as the all rounder, like the the five or six in the T Twenty side, which I just don't think he is. I just don't think that's going to work. Um, but Matthew Wade, I thought, like if he's brought into the side, that's what this team is missing is some firepower at the end, as well as the ability to hold down the innings at the number five position, which um was where Alex Carey was batting. So that was a bit confusing because I thought that was a good opportunity to develop, to develop Wade there. Well, not not even to develop him there, just play him there because he is he's ready to do it there. Um, whereas if you're going to bring in an extra keeper and play him as the opener, you might as well bring in Josh Philippi. You might as well because he is, um, you know, obviously he's new to international cricket. He's going to be, you know, probably maybe a bit shaky when he first comes onto the scene. So you, you put him in this comfortable position in his first game. This was a prime opportunity to do that and open him with the opening, opening him. Um, sorry about that. With the opening the innings, which is where he bats in the big bash, and then slowly slide him down the order. Whereas like Matthew Wade, if he's going to be in this side, he's going to bat like bot like bottom, um, a bottom bottom of the bat bats. So that's why I'm a bit surprised that they chose to open Wade. Um, so yeah, the keeping position is very, it's very strange at the moment. It's not, it's not a good problem you want to have. Obviously, well, yeah, obviously, but it is a bit concerning that our keeping has been so unreliable. So that's why I think Josh Phillippe isn't very far away. And when he does get a look in, don't be surprised if he just holds it and he continues to hold it for for ages. Um, another another opportunity there potentially is Josh Inglis, depending on how he goes, because he's like, you know, out of out of the three we listed there, Josh Inglis is the best gloveman. Um I think he's got a pretty good frame of mind. I think after Payne goes in tests, I think like Alex Carey is the obvious uh, successor to him. I think Josh Inglis is a bit of a sleeper pick though, because he is probably, um, the, is in the higher echelon of, of, um, Gloveman, which is what you, which is what we seem to be going for now in our test, um, test wicket keepers rather than their batting, which is good. I like that. You should go with your best keeper, um, and just keeping in a test. Um, but yeah, I, and I think Inglis is a bit, uh, obviously his batting hasn't been great in first class. Ned has carries, but he has improved in the last couple of seasons. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the, where the keeping spot goes in all our formats, really. Like, obviously Payne is, he's obviously safe for now, um, until he retires probably. But it is just, there's many, there's many avenues that they can take. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where they go. So the other news this week is there have been a few movements in the Big Bash. Um, number one was the what the third ever Big Bash trade, the third or fourth, which was pretty big. Um, it, well, big. Uh, two fringe players. But the Melbourne Stars um, have traded Daniel Worrell back home to South Australia. 
for Express Pace and Billy Stanlake. So, who wins this trade? My initial reaction was they both win the trade. Um, I think Stan like Stanlake has a lot of depth. I mean, he's got a lot of um potential. And um, like we've seen him have really good streaks and have really good summers where he's played in the um, Australian T20 side and he's taken he's taken many wickets. He's had really good runs. Um, but then we saw summers like last year where he, um, quite frankly, just sucked, and he was not far away to getting dropped in the strikers team. In fact, he might have. He actually might have at some point. I can't quite recall. Um, so I think a change of scenery will do Stanley good. And I think the larger playing surface of the MCG um, will suit um, his fast bowling even even more. But that being said, like we're going to assume that the Melbourne Stars re-sign Harris, Harris Ralph, which they have said that they would like to do. Do you really need another high, another express paceman trying to continually take wickets. I know Ralph um, in the Big Bash was really economical and um, and he was really good at the, de- at the death, but I can see players and batsmen working him out this year um, and him going for some hefty, hefty runs. Um, I still, th- I really hope Harris has a good, has a good Big Bash because he's, he's really fun to watch. Um, as you see, like all these buckets I collected at Melbourne Stars games. I'm not actually a Stars fan myself, but um, I, I love the MCG. So like, I live in Melbourne and I'll go to as many games as I can um, during the cricket season and um, collect all these buckets. But that was the big draw card last season was Harris Ralph. Um, he's so fun to watch and him being paired with Billy Stanlake could be... Um, like that times two, it could be like master move stars go all the way. Like that's like, that's the absolute best case scenario. The most realistic scenario is he gives you a few good games here and there. Um, but they ultimately choke in the finals again. And then the absolute lowest is he has an economy of 12 and takes like one wicket each game. And all of which are very possible, like realistic is what I think will happen. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting from the Stars' perspective. But the Adelaide Strikers, I think, um, like most people were saying, yes, yeah, Stars probably won this trade or it's a, it's about even. I think the Adelaide Strikers really win this trade. Um, Billy Stanlake wasn't doing wonders for them at all. And, um, and yeah, he, he wasn't. He wasn't really fitting the mold of what the strikers were trying to do. But and now they gain Daniel Worrell. So Frankie, um, as we know, he is an excellent death bowler. He well and and at the start, he your classic um your classic way of bowling him is he bowls two at the start, because he's really good with the swing, one of the best in Australia, and you bowl two at the end, because he's as we've seen in the last seasons, he's an excellent death bowler too. And he got the stars through to the final a couple of years back. Um, so yeah, I think that the strikers bowling this season is going to be crazy good. So you're going to be opening the bowling with well, Peter Siddle is going to be there still. Like he's he's going to be there for the full season now. He's not going to be in like the test squad like touring with him because he's he's retired from international cricket now. He's going to be really really good there. Um. And then in addition to that, you've got Harry Conway was excellent in his, um, I, I think it was his first or, it was only his first or second Big Bash season. I really rate Harry Conway and I think he is, um, I, he doesn't bowl quite as fast as Stanley, but he bolted the same sort of fire. But Stanley doesn't really bowl with fire, he just bowls fast. But I think Conway is still, he's a good strike bowler to have and I think he is more than appropriate to keep Stanlake there, um, to take Stanlake's spot, rather. So, like, that's a pretty good three as it is. Obviously, Rashid Khan is, is, um, he's there, like, he's Rashid Khan. We don't need to say much about him. He's the best T20 bowler in the world. Um, 
So yeah, this who's the other one? Obviously Cam Valenti. I am having a blank. Wes Ager. Wes Ager just won the Australian uh, Young Player of the Year award. He is without a doubt the or he's in the top the top few of the most promising Australian bowlers. He is only going to get better from last season's Big Bash. Um, and that is scary to think for the rest of the competition because strikers are going to, they're going to probably open with um, Agar and Wall. And then through the middle overs, you're going to have, what was it, like Peter Siddle will bowl, bowl one. Maybe he bowls three at the death. Like, you, know, you don't know. And then Rashid Khan. Um, and then you still got Harry Conway. He's, he's um, going for the wickets. So you, like Peter Siddle will be pinging him down. And then you can you can alternate with um Rashid Khan and Harry Conway. And then you still got like Matt Short can bowl a couple of overs here and there. Uh Travis Head, if he's available, will probably bowl like the opening over or something. Um so they're in a really good place. And then at the death, Wes Agar. Yeah, it'll actually probably be Wes Agar and Peter Siddle at the death, now that I think about it. But like that is that is an insanely um efficient bowling lineup. And I think Teams will really struggle to score against the stars. I'm um, against the strikers this year, and they are my early, pick, very early pick. Without all the signings coming out yet, they are my early pick for the title because they also have signed Matthew Renshaw, and we got to we got to give him a clap here because they have done very well to get Matt Renshaw. Um, I think this is good for Renshaw's career. I think this is very good for his career. Um, because he was getting rather overshadowed at the heat and it's so like, you don't, it's so on and off. You don't know where you're going to go with the heat because they're going to have like basically the same team all year round, despite having all this firepower, they don't really have any like national, um, national level players, except like James Pattinson, who is only usually like a tour member or is a reserve. Um, but like that doesn't affect Renshaw at all. So at the top, so he's, so it's not very, um, consistent of a go for Renshaw. And he, like when he did get in, he was, he was really good. Um, and he, not only like his ability to hold down an innings, we already know how good he is at that, but he, but his ability to attack and willingness to take the game on, read the game and go with it was excellent. And it has been the last couple of years. And that is a beautiful signing for the Adelaide Strikers. He is a guy you want in any T20 side. Um, and I forgot to mention him. I think I, did I mention him in the last episode? I'm not sure, but, um, he is definitely thereabouts for the Australian T20 side in the future. Um, I think he could be the short-term replacement or long-term replacement rather for Marcus Stoinis. Um, he can replace a lot of guys because, like, obviously we know he opens. Um, he's classically bats five, five or four in a T20, and he's very much got the capabilities to play three. So he 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 is um he can replace anyone in any side. Like maybe not to the level, but he has definitely got the potential because he's only I think he's only twenty three. He is still insanely young. Um, so that's a great get for the strikers because they're going to be opening. With Travis Head, Alex Carey, well, actually, no, Phil Salt as well. Well, assuming that they sign Phil Salt, their salary cap is going to be an issue for the Strikers. Actually, no, it won't, because they've got so many domestic players and, like, just sort of, like, thereabouts. So, like, maybe the contract won't be, contract issue won't be too big. But I think Phil Salt, I think um, he will thrive under this sort of environment. I think the team mold sorts that's that sort of player so he had like a couple good innings last year but he was ultimately like duck duck or 50 50 off 20 you know that's that's just how phil salt plays but um yeah i really i really rate all ends of the strikers lineup and this is before like they've com they've completed their um their squad and I think that uh, that they will go deep into the finals. This is, again, early speculation. This might completely change. There might be some national call-ups and all that unforeseen. 
he obviously did with Travis Head. Probably won't play, actually, because he'll be um, in isolation with the team. But I think that they've still got the depth to cover that. Um, what else happened? Peter Hanscom signed with the Hurricanes. Um, great get for the Hurricanes. I think their top order is now the best in the comp. Um, at full strength, that is, because a number of them can all go onto international duties at any point. Um, so at that point, you'd have Wade, Short, Hanscom, McDermott. Um, there's someone else that I'm missing. There's someone else that I'm missing. Apologies, I've just had complete blank. Um, Caleb Jewell's a good good backup. Oh my god, who am I missing? Christ, that's going to drive me nuts. But anyway, I think that this... I was thinking about it earlier, and I think that the Hurricanes now have the best... Um, the best top order in the comp. And they've also got, like... The thing about a T20 or a limited overs team is that it has to be really versatile. They have to have a willingness to attack first, but they've also got to be really versatile. Um, and all of those players have that potential. So I think that that will go pretty well for them. It's a loss for the stars, definitely. But what I don't understand is they didn't even offer him a contract. Why? Why would you not offer Peter Hanscom a contract? He has been your best player for, what, the best part of four years. More, more than that. Well, in BBL, what, 10, 11 now? His century was in BBL 4. He is still absolutely serviceable. He was in the Australian ODI side like a year ago. He was in the squad like earlier early this year. To think, like, you've got middle order problems, right? That is the whole reason the Stars haven't been able to go the full length. It's because their middle order has crumbled. So why get rid of your best middle order bat, aside from Glenn Maxwell? I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why they wouldn't even offer him a contract. Um, whether they just felt like they needed to pull the pin and just start clean is another thing, but, or, or they just didn't think he was serviceable anymore. I, I just, I don't get it. Unless they've got, like, a really big um, duo of signings, really, um, I, do, I don't see the reason to not even offer Hanscom a contract. I think it's, I think it's dumb. I think the Stars have really stuffed this up. Um, other BBL talk included David Milan and Johnny Bairstow, both in BBL discussions. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Whoever gets David Milan is, um, they're in a very good spot. I, I don't think it'll be the Canes or the Strikers. I don't think that really works for them now that they've made... Um, these signings. Maybe the Stars are clearing room for a David Malam. They don't really need Johnny Bairstow. Um, but, but yeah. David Milan on the Stars would be a really good top order, and that would probably give them the ability to compete again. If they had a Hanscom there as well, I think they would be um, favourites to go back to the final again next year. Um... And it would, it would make an awesome, for an awesome um, big four of teams, it would be <clears throat> the Strikers, the Canes, the Stars, and the Sixers, who I presume will just keep the same team as last year because, like, that did pretty well and those guys are only going to get better. Although they do have a lot of um, international, play, international level players and uh, they could be, but they probably will be, you know, in with the squad for the entirety of the tournament or for a large portion of it. So if the Sixers just make the finals, that was sort of my prediction last year. If the Sixers can just make the finals, then they'll win it. That's what I said last year. Um, you know, this is all really early speculation. Like half half the um, 
squad of all teams hasn't been signed yet. But, yeah. But, yeah. That's where the Big Bash sort of sits at the moment. Um, I don't think I've missed anything there. Now, from last episode, I got a couple... I've got a couple of questions. If you if you want to ask about a topic, like anything entirely or question or clarification, anything that I've sent, I mean said in the in previous episodes at all, at any point, or you think there's an interesting debate to be had, shoot a message, leave a comment on the Big Swing Noting Podcast Instagram page. Um, that's Big Swing Noting underscore podcast. Um, and you know, comment on the recent post or send a message out, reach out to us. Um, this one is from, I'm not going to say his name actually. And it said, do you reckon Stoin should open the batting then Finch moved down to four or five? So this was in regards to the T20 side, um, that I was talking about last episode. Um, Aaron Finch will always open. Actually, I'm not going to say that because he batted at four or three a couple years back. I can't remember where, but no, I don't think he will. I think Marcus Stoinis, his game, I said last episode, he needs the keys to an innings and to share that with, um, David Warner at the top. I don't think that works. And then preceded by Steve Smith, I don't think that I don't think that works, um, as well with all of them, with all of them in the side. And um, Aaron Finch, he has he doesn't need to do that. Like he will happily just turn the, he'll turn the strike over or he'll go flat out and attack. Whereas Marcus Stoinis in the national setup, I um, I just don't I just don't think they need to do that. And I would rather have, like, although, like, Finch can, can bat low. Like, he, he can do it. But, again, then I think you're sort of doing the, giving him the Glenn Maxwell treatment and only seeing him as a slogger, which he isn't. You know, he's not a go-from-ball-one guy. Um, obviously, he can, and he has before, but that's just not his, more often than not, that's just not how he plays it. It's not something you can rely on um, all the time. So if you would, so think of it this way, I would rather have Finch and Warner open and have Josh Phillippe in at five than have Stoinis and Warner open and have Finch at five. I think, like, uh, will I? I think the, hmm, now that I've said that, it doesn't seem so stupid, does it? No, I just... Do I hate Marcus Stoinis? Do I? Do I just hate Marcus Stoinis? Maybe I do. I don't, th- I don't think I do. <laughs> I, I love seeing Marcus Stoinis um, you know, hit a big score. He's, he's pretty entertaining when he gets going. But geez, frustrating at the start. Geez, frustrating. Um, do I hate him? No, I don't think so. Maybe that's all it is. Um... I think I would rather Josh Phillippe's finishing ability over Stoinis's soaking up of an innings at the top and controlling. No, it's not even. It's not even control. It's just sort of owning. Like he may own an innings, but he might not. You know, have it on the good. Have it on the right terms. You know. Because he could, ju- he can just soak up balls and then just you know get a single on the last ball of the over. That's just so- that's what he does sometimes. Um, and I just, I wouldn't, you know, walking, s- seeing Marcus Stoinis walk out to open for us in the T Twenty World Cup. I I don't want like, you know him facing the best spot. Like that's where he'll face the best bowlers in the world. I I, I don't feel com- comfortable in that. Aaron Finch, I feel, facing out at the start, can do that. And I feel, you know, that he's ready to take that on. Marcus Stoinis, I still feel like, is a really good domestic player. 
And I think that's just all he ever will be. I don't feel the same confidence that I feel with Marcus Sonis um, walking out to bat in for Australia than I do for him for Western Australia or the Melbourne Stars. And unless he can change his game quickly, um, I don't think it'll change. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about Marcus Stoinis every episode. Um, and you know, I have again for a large chunk of things here, but it is just such an interesting, interesting part of the team. Um, is the all rounder position? I think it's the most valuable position in any white ball side, particularly for an ODI, and that is why England have been so successful. Um, over the last four four years four or five years, it's because they've got, they don't just have one good all-rounder in Ben Stokes, they have a few, and they bat all the way, they bat all the way down, and like obviously they've got no problems bowling, but they just, like, like I said in the last episode, there's no real position that we have England covered in, but I think now, I think I, now we can say that we have them covered in pace bowling. Now Joffre will probably go out and take seven or something like that. But um, I think we're more reliable. No, no, reliable is not a word you should use with this Australian team at all. Um, but I think it's probably on its day at max maximum power. These two teams are very evenly matched. Very evenly matched. But I think Australia would win. Primarily because of how good our fast bowling unit is. Mitch Stark, Josh Hazelwood, Pat Cummins. That is ridiculous. Josh Hazelwood. I, I know we talked about him earlier. Sensational. Um, It sucks that he wasn't in the World Cup team last year. I know it's late to say and it's probably stupid to say now. But I, uh, I for one, have always wanted him to be in these white, in these limited overs teams, and I feel like it's unfair that he doesn't. Because if he is utilized correctly, as Aaron Finch did today, or last night rather, he is deadly. But he's not, he's not even like, is he, deadly's not really a, a Josh Hazelwood word. But, but people forget this about Josh Hazelwood. He bowls consistently above 140 Ks. Consistently, um, you know he's like probably a he's yes he's a touch slower than Pat Cummins and Mitch Stark, but not by much, really not by much, um, and that is why I think you know when people say to replace him with Kane Richardson or Peter Siddle, um, they're not saying that anymore. I'm just in the past few years, it's not the same mold. It just isn't because Hazelwood has such incredible ball control. Yes, which is what. You see in the, those other two bowlers, but he also has the ability to attack like hell. Um, he doesn't usually choose to do that, which is good because his method of attack is generally um, penetration and precision. But he he has that ability with how fast he bowls as well. So I I hope that we see Hazelwood in the side, the T Twenty side soon. Um. Although for now, like Kane Richardson, I think is good. I think Kane Richardson's good in the T20 side. He, um, like we saw in his first T20, he, especially like through the middle overs, and he can give you an extra over at the death. Um, his variations are probably more suited to the T20 game. Whereas like Josh Hazelwood, you can just get away with using him in an ODI. Um, so yeah, actually maybe he's not the T20 bowler. But, you know, we don't need that. Um, so, at a full... Both teams on their day... Why would I take Australia? Like, Australia's bowling is so good, right? But England's batting is out of this world, too. Like... I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Um... It'll be interesting to see how Alex Carey and Mitch Marsh hold up this series. Um, like Marsh has obviously held his spot 
but it'll be interesting to see how their performances persist. Um, because like that is, as I've said, that is the key to winning an ODI match, and it'll be the key to winning the series is how a batsman from five to seven or whatever five to eight, if you really wanted to, it is how they bat. Because when Warner, Finch, Labs, and you know Smith is injured, when they don't perform, there's trouble and the team collapses. So it was really good to see Maxwell and Marsh hold it down. Final prediction, I still I still think England will win 2-1. But that game gave me hope. It gave me hope for the first time as an Australian. For the first time in a year in our ODI side, in, our, in this Australian ODI team. Thank you all very much for watching and listening to the square, no, not the square leg, the big swing noting podcast. Um, if you would like, if you would like to, I don't know, what, 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 what can you do? Uh, give us a rating, give us a rating on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I don't think you can on Spotify, but whatnot. Give, give it, give it a download wherever you want. Um, if you're on YouTube, hit a like and hit a subscribe button because why not? There's not just going to be this um, this rant thing. There's also going to be a couple of projects coming up a bit later, which is going to be very exciting for this team. Um, not for this team, for this for this brand. I guess the big swing brand, Showtime Inc. Um, Showtime Inc. Yes, but you definitely want to stick around. So hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Um, hit the subscribe button if you're on any of the other platforms that I listed before for podcasting and go over to the Instagram page, hit the follow button. Oh, actually, before we go, there is one more thing I wanted to say. I don't, that's the whole idea of this um, program is to not have sketched out ideas and to just ramble off the top of my head. But this I wanted to talk about. Smashed by Usman, smashed by Uzi K on Instagram. Oh my god, what enough! I cannot, I cannot stress enough how. Can I say dumb? I don't know. He is just on another level, bro. I was um. I've noticed him for a while now. Oh my god. See, he's just posted on his story again. Um, I saw him in a couple of pages comments, notably on ESPN Crick Info, and he was basically commenting on how bad Warner was and how good, like, Usman Khawaja should be in his spot. And, like, honestly, you just, like, that's putting it real nicely. And, like, his arguments are just so bad. I cannot, you know, he's like, he's like the anti, he's like the reverse of every Indian. Ever. Like, on Instagram, he doesn't like A.B. de Villiers. He doesn't like David Warner. He doesn't like Virat Kohli. He doesn't like Joss Butler. I just... Why? They're all elite players. But you, you feel like you have to put them down to put Usman Khawaja on a pedestal? Look, someone clip this and send it to Smash Boy Uzi K. Listen here, buddy. I'm the president of the Usman Khawaja fan club. Or vice president, rather. Joe Morch is um, the president. Shut the hell up, bro. You are delusional as hell if you think that Usman Khawaja should be opening in any side over David Warner. David Warner, you can just look, you can literally just look at, you can look at basic stats for this. And it's not often that I suggest to look at basic stats, but you, it really does tell the story here. David Warner, right. David Warner, over the last two years for ODI, since he's returned, has an average of 58.12. And when chasing, he averages 108.75. You want to drop that. You call him Fraudner. Are you delusional? Are you out of your mind, dude? I cannot even understand. He passed 58 times in the last two years. 400s with a strike rate of 91.53, which he said is absolute rubbish because um, 
in the World Cup against India, he he did what fifty off, fifty six of eighty four when chasing like three fifty. Sure, like that wasn't his best innings, but the rest of the team didn't bat too well either. The rest of the team did not bat well, and you want to hold that against a man who aver- averages one hundred eight point seven five when chasing, averages seventy one point eight eight in the World Cup. And had 300s past 56 times. And has, this is the big blow, the most runs by an Australian in the last two years in ODIs. Why? Why would you take that out of your team? Not to accommodate Usman Kawaja. Kawaja's good. I love Usman Kawaja so much. But he averaged 36 in the World Cup, dude. He just, he's not to that standard. Like, yeah, th- yeah. This guy said, "Hang on." Kawaja had to bat down number four to accommodate Warner in the World Cup squad. He didn't. He batted three, and still he made three hundred odd runs and a decent thirty-six average. Thirty-six average is not decent. That is not what puts you in a national setup. If I, if my top five all score thirty-six runs, I'm barely scoring one sixty. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's a passing grade. Yeah. Good job, mate. Good job, you just made the, the opposition get an easiest win of their career. I'm not keeping that man in my squad, dude. I'm just not. And it's unfair. It, as hard as it was to drop Usman Kawaja after the year he had before and how talented of a batsman he is, he just doesn't fit anymore, dude. He just doesn't. David Warner, he's, I just read out why. He's not getting dropped. Aaron Finch is the captain. He is not getting dropped. Steve Smith is Steve Smith. He's not getting dropped. Marnus Labashain is Marnus Labashain. He's not getting dropped. Those are the only four positions Usman Kawaja can theoretically bat in. He's the same sort of thing as Stoinis. Um, even though I think Kawaja's actually a bit more um, versatile than Stoinis. They, we haven't seen anything to suggest that he should be, at one, over those guys, at two, bat any lower than those guys and have the different styles. So why? Give me one good reason why, aside from all the rubbish you put in there that I can't say here, on this podcast, why would I put on Usman Kawaja in my side over any of those guys, as you pointed out, David Warner? Why would I do that? It is nonsensical. It is out of this world. It is delusional. Thank you all very much for listening. Play it through.